Have you ever gone through something that was incredibly painful in life? I mean, just, just what you went through. Um, you, you couldn't ever fathom that much pain and suffering in your life. And yet at the end of that time, that pain and suffering, you knew there was, there was going to be happiness. There's going to be peace, contentment. Uh, that, the, that the pain and the suffering had a, had a purpose, had a reason for it. Uh, it Maybe like uh, our, our young man here in our drama, uh, you were separated from, from your loved ones for a time. Uh, maybe it was an extended period of time. And, and that, that separation was, was just nagging and, and eating away at you. But you knew that one day you would see them again. You, you would hold them in your arms and, and you would smell their, their hair and you would feel their, their face again. Uh, maybe maybe you, uh, you've been through a, a painful recovery process, a uh, physical rehab. Uh, maybe it's a sports injury. And uh, every time you went into the, the, uh, the PT's office and, and they just put you through a grueling workout, you knew that the pain was worth it. Because one day when that pain was over, uh, you would be healthy again. You'd be able to play sports once again. Maybe it was an illness with a, with a difficult treatment. Uh, maybe something like chemotherapy. And you knew that, that the, the statistics were good, that if you went through this, this horrible process, that at the end of that, you would be healthy and you'd be cancer-free. And maybe, maybe it was an academic uh, suffering. Uh, maybe you went through this, this incredibly grueling uh, licensing or testing process uh, to become a, a CPA or a lawyer. Um, I have a friend of mine named Mark up in Chicago. He said that, that uh, getting his bachelor's degree was the roughest 10 years of his life. I've I, I got to be honest, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in life. Um, I, I haven't ever had any major illnesses uh, such as cancer or anything like that. I have never gone through, the, through an incredible time of, of physical rehab or, or long-term separation from my family. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know, honestly, I mean, if, I, if I'm real honest, I don't know what it's like to really suffer in life. I mean, the, the closest thing I thought of as I was, as I was preparing for this morning uh, was last year when I, I climbed a 14,000-foot mountain out in Colorado. And just that, that grueling process and, and struggling with altitude sickness and, and physical weariness. And you, you take 10 steps and then you stop and, and you look up and the top of the peak is up there. But, you, but I knew that, that going through all of that struggle was going to pay off. Because I'd stand on, on top of the mountain, and I did. And I, and I looked out, you know, and I was there for about 15, 20 minutes just uh, enjoying the incredible scenery. That's honestly the closest I could get to it. This morning, I've been asked to talk about suffering uh, when I've never experienced suffering. And so I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to interview a young couple that uh, have gone through some incredible things in their lives. We're in this series called Destinations, and uh, Bill's had this suitcase out here for us. We're in our third week, and we've talked about departure and, and confidence. We need to, to have a starting point, and the cross is that for us. We need to have confidence in Christ throughout our lives. And today we're going to talk about hope. How do we have hope in the face of suffering? Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to, turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, these six weeks, we're just going through one chapter in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. We'll have it up here on the screen. I just want to pull out one verse, Romans eight eighteen, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that word suffering there, I want to know what the, the original Greek word over there is, it's pathema. 
uh, which means calamity or, or misfortune. It means affliction. As Paul was writing this to the church at Rome, um, you know, if you know your history, you know that Christians were persecuted in Rome. Uh, in fact, one of the, the emperors, Nero, uh, took it upon himself to persecute the Christians in just horrendous ways, uh, fed them to lions for sport, would watch them die in the midst of this, women, men, and children. Uh, lined the streets coming in, into Rome uh, with the bodies of Christians and lit them on fire at night to light the way into Rome. I mean, it's just incredible things that these people were going through. And yet Paul uh, writes these words, I considered our present sufferings, our pathema, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that word glory, uh, the Greek word is doxa, uh, which means uh, majestic, glorious condition, magnificence, it's talking about having, having an appearance like angels. If you read the, the scriptures, whenever angels would appear, I mean, they would just light up the night sky and they would overwhelm the people that, and the people would back away in fear because of the light and the presence of the angels. Uh, that word doxa talks about the brightness of the sun and the moon and the stars. And what Paul is telling us is that we need to keep our present suffering, our pathema, our afflictions, our, our calamities, our misfortunes in perspective, in light of our future doxa, our glory. I love what Revelation has to say. Verse 21, or chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is talking about the future uh, coming of Christ and the future, a new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And for those of you that are out here that are going through something incredibly painful right now, you're, you're sitting here going, Chris, I'm so glad that, that you've never had to go through what I've had to go through, but if you only knew my story. If you knew my, my pathema, my calamity, my affliction, my misfortune, Chris, if you knew, you wouldn't be there telling me that I have hope. And I'd say, yes, you do. Because of this very next verse. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now what that verse is telling us is that one day there will be no more crying, there will be no more pain, there will be no more death, but it's also saying that in this present day there will be. It's okay. It's okay to cry, it's okay to mourn, it's okay to to grieve, it's okay to be in pain and suffering and be, be upset about that. But one day, if you have your hope in Christ, one day that will be no more. This morning, I want to introduce a couple to you, Mike and Bethany Micklick, if you guys will go ahead and come on out. And uh, as I said, uh, I I can't tell you personally about suffering. They can. And we're going to hear their story this morning. And this is really the heart of the message today, um, is just an extended interview. And so if you guys would, just uh, imagine that, that we're sitting in a coffee shop. All right, uh, we went to the blend, and uh, I met, there you go, just relax. <clears throat> I went to the blend and, and sat down with you guys and a couple hundred of our friends, and uh, we're just going to hear your story. So is that all right? You guys good? You ready? Mm-hmm. All right, I got Kleenexes. I'm good. All right, all right. Um, your, your story really starts with the birth of your first daughter, Alyssa. Tell us about her. Um, 
about a year after we were married, we got pregnant with Alyssa, and um, about 17 weeks into pregnancy, we had an ultrasound, and we found out that she had that there was something wrong, and she had a cleft open palate. And at that time, the doctors actually told us that we should probably terminate her because if there's one problem, there's probably a lot more. And um, at that point, we decided, I mean, it wasn't an option in our book. Yeah. We knew that things would be hard, but we didn't, you know, we, did, we didn't believe in that. So, um, <clears throat> so we, we went and went to term, or went through all the pregnancy. I ended up having preeclampsia, and then uh, we delivered her five weeks early. She was four pounds, 11 ounces. I think I'd be emotional. Um, <laughs> we, we met earlier in the week at their house, and she's like, oh, I'll be fine. Mike's yeah. the one who's going to be crying. So. Yeah. I'll be fine. Well, all three of us will at some point, I'm sure. So. Mm-hmm. Now, b- before she was born, though, you guys went through a lot of kind of bitterness, a lot of, a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. That you guys... His... Go ahead. Before she was born? Yeah. Once we found out... That I think you questioned. Was it, was a lot it before? About. Was it during? After? I mean, it was the whole time. For, for me, it was a little bit afterward. I mean, there was okay. some life things going on for us. I mean, we had, you know, just gotten married. We had moved to, to North Carolina, uh, so we had moved away from family. So we were without people down the street that we could really lean on. Yeah. Um, so, with that into a new work role, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things happening. And then we've uh, we got pregnant. We we're excited. You know, our firstborn. Um, she was coming. We were, you know, because when you're when you're young, you know, you, you look to the future and you create your five-year plan, your ten-year plan, yeah. and you think about all these things that are within your control, and all these things are just going to be perfect because that's how you plan them to be, right? Well, then after all these things, it really I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, I learned that life happens amidst all your plans, and you can't plan for everything that comes at you. I think we were questioning, or you were questioning some of what had you done in your past, and you know what did we yeah. deserve? And for me, it was, uh, what did I do during my pregnancy? I mean, I had, I'd even gotten off caffeine, and you know, you you just question a lot of why is this happening? Yeah. So, um, she was born five weeks early, and the day after she was born, uh, they told us that she needed open heart surgery, okay. and that was another, you know, traumatizing event. She stayed in the NICU 40 days. And, and that was a blind side, by the way. We, we didn't have we didn't. any indication of that at all. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a picture here of her. So she, she did have open heart surgery at three months of age. And um, three days into it, uh, well, the first three days of surgery, I'm sorry, let me just... It's okay. Going into... I don't want to backpedal. Um, about two weeks before the surgery, I was going through a really hard time. Like I kind of, I don't know if I knew something was going to go wrong, but I was, you know, going, do I hold my daughter or do I do the dishes? Because this might be the last time I get to hold her. And so I was really struggling. And then the day before we met with the surgeon and he was like, this is a piece of cake. We do this all the time. There's only 1% chance she won't make it. And, uh, you know, she's not 1%, you know, no big deal. So I'm like, oh, what have I been sweating about then? Okay. So I kind of went in, into the surgery. Surgery didn't go so well. Three days later, still they couldn't stabilize her. Her heart rate was over 250. And um, at that point, 
I said, I thought, well, I can negotiate with him. You know, if you just heal her, you know, you just make her better. She can stay in here for five months and, you know, as long as it takes, yeah. we'll do it. And he just looked at me and said, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. And so going home with that devastation, I laid in bed and um, I remember it was about one o'clock in the morning and I just cried all that, that I could cry. And I had really struggled with praying because I was going to pray, God, heal her, God, heal her not whatever you want. And so at that point, at one in the morning, I just said, God, if, if it's her time, go and take her. Because there's nothing I can do. I can't bribe the doctors or I can't fix it myself. And so at, at two in the morning, she stabilized. And, um, and it, so from there, she, she healed. And um, she went through several more surgeries after that. But. And, and you guys were, during all this time, you were at the Ronald McDonald House. Mm-hmm. For part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've heard you guys talk about that. You're, you're yeah. big supporters of them because of your experience. Absolutely. So uh, tell us about because I know some of, the, some, of the, some of the growth that you had occurred in that house. Yeah, there were several growth moments, and, and this is another one for me. Um, because with this, you know, with the question of what have I done in my past, you know, how did I contribute to this? What, did I, what was my part in this? You know, I found myself out of control because I thought I was in control, and um, I was able to observe other families there, and there were families that were very hopeful, even though their prognoses were bleak, and yet there, were, there was hope, and they were happy, they were cheerful. Then there were other families that we were observing that weren't. They were bickering, they were fighting. Uh, there was a lack of hope. And one um, of the things one of the nurses told us is that um, the divorce rate is one of the highest of parents of children in the NICU. And at that point, we had, we were kind of going through this separately. I mean, he was numb and pretty much shut down, and I was not in trying to draw hope from, you know, him, which wasn't working, and I, I was um, just really wanting him to open up and communicate, and we, we just were dealing with it differently. Yeah. But I remember mentioning to him saying, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to split up because... Um, of this trying, you know, this thing that we're going through. This, uh, I don't want to be one of those statistics. Yeah, and, and I didn't either. And that's where I think we both have a common bond, and our faith was our foundation. And so from that, we chose to to have hope because we knew in the end that's where it was at. Yeah, we didn't understand why we were where we were at that point, um, but we knew it could get better as long as we relied on, on God. Yeah. And we kept looking to him for guidance. And, and eventually, uh, Alyssa healed. You came Absolutely. home from Ronald McDonald House, and oh, she's life kind of moved fantastic. on. We look at her now, and we're like, really? She has a heart problem? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's just bouncing off the walls. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and your family expanded. You had yes, another child. We eventually had Lauren. Lauren. And, um, any, any complications with her The pregnancy? only complication with her is she broke her collarbone during birth, but, you know, like a... Hang nail, you know, some comparison. <laughs> nah, broken collarbone. Very minor. minor. So, in fact, they came in, they're like, she broke her collarbone. No, real serious. I'm like, right. oh. <laughs> 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 there but your family didn't stop there. <clears throat> no. You have, you have two. We and su- we have a picture of, of Alyssa and Lauren here. We surprisingly and, got pregnant. Yeah, six months. When Lauren was only six months old. You know and how that happens, right? Yeah. All right, just making sure. Well, it took a year to get pregnant with Lauren, so I think we just kind of thought, oh, it'll take another, 
No. Yeah. Okay. But so now, so, and this one did not go. No, this one we found out we were pregnant. We we were excited. He was way more excited. I was a little bit more like, "Look, I have a baby." But um, <laughs> yeah, so I was drawing some of my excitement from him. But then we went and had an ultrasound, and when I looked, I could tell there were two. And so he was grinning ear to ear, and I'm thinking, "Oh." I need a drink. <laughs> so, do, you, I mean, do you remember the Bill Cosby routine? You did this to me. Uh, yeah. I think I said, oh, my gosh, at least 150 times. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The record you know? was skipping. Yeah. yeah. So, but then we found out we were having two more girls, and that, and we already had two girls. So I think that time his smile went a little bit. <laughs> okay, now you're stressed out a little bit. But, and um, uh, ultrasound revealed... <clears throat> That there was a noticeable size difference. We knew going in, having identical twin girls, we knew um, there was a chance that one could take the nutrients from the other one. Okay. And so they tell you that from the very beginning, you have a 15% chance. We're and, always and that's in called, that that's small percentage. That's called twin chance, to twin transfusion. It's called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Okay. So the very beginning, in that first ultrasound, I just had like this gut feeling because they were a week apart in growth. I just thought that was kind of weird. And I didn't even really know about the twin to twin at that time. I just thought... But so, I, because I'm high risk, they did several ultrasounds, and that's something they would want to look for anyway. But um, they just kept growing further and further apart, and to the point where they were almost 50% difference. And, and real, real quick, if you would, for those of us, myself included, until Monday night, d describe twin-to-twin -twin transfusion, because you said basically they were connected together, and they were sharing nutrients, and it's dangerous for both. Yeah, it's dangerous for both. Um, basically, Olivia was getting all the blood, the nutrients, everything, which stresses her heart out. Okay. Emma suffered because she was, was donor. Very, she, she, wasn't was she wasn't growing at all. Okay. I mean, um, yeah, so it's just basically they're supposed to have their own, even though they're sharing a placenta, they're supposed to have their own arteries and veins that go back and forth, and there was they were crossing over. And, okay. So, mm -hmm. so you, you discovered you mm -hmm. went to Cincinnati. So we finally went in and to, for an ultrasound, and they said, uh, you definitely have this. You need to go to Cincinnati. And it wasn't, at that point, they didn't seem, sound like it was an emergency kind of thing. And even when we went to Cincinnati, they evaluated us for a whole day and came in the room and they said, um, you know, it's not that bad. It's like a three on a scale, one to five. And we have some options. You can do bed rest or we can do this amnio reduction or we can do this laser surgery. Well, I really wanted a laser surgeon. He wanted the amnio reduction, which is fine. Another little crossroads. But... Um, <laughs> We ended up going with a less riskier one, and um, when we went in, the doctor went to do it, and they basically take out fluid out of your belly, and he said, we can't do this, the fluids are normal. So we were like, oh, great, exciting. So they said, come back in three days, and we'll reevaluate the girls' hearts, and we'll probably just send you home. So you traveled to Cincinnati, because <clears throat> yes. doctors here are saying, you gotta do this, you get there, they say, yeah, you probably should do this. They get into the ready procedure. They say, we don't need it. Right. You can go home, most likely. Right. So we went back three days later for a whole day of testing. And then went and waited for the doctor for over two hours. And we were kind of just laughing and joking. We'll, we'll play, make it our plans. We'll go home. And the doctor comes in and says, um, we rarely see this happen, but they've switched places. They're called donor and recipient, and they switch places. So all that fluid that was really stressing Olivia's heart now stressing Emma's heart, and Emma's so tiny that she went into complete heart failure and high drops all over her body. 
And they said, a stage, she's at a stage four and five is death. Wow. And they said, we have no choice but to do the laser surgery. And most likely they, they won't live through it. And uh, as he left the room, he said, I'm sorry. And that was it. So I went home. We went back to my sister's house. And I, I really struggled um, yeah, you, over the weekend. What, one, of the, I, one of the things that Bethany did during the whole process here was blogged um, a lot of her feelings and emotions. And there were times where it was happy. I mean, I was reading as you were writing and, and you know, through the months. And, and there were times where, I mean, you just, I don't like this. This is horrible. This is, I, why, 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 why? Okay, God, it's yours, you know. And she brought some of her blog uh, postings uh, with her today. I, I really didn't talk to anybody over the weekend. I, I just was dealing with how I felt. And so anyway, this is what I wrote the day before. It is 10.44 a.m. Tomorrow is coming. As I sit here, I debate on whether to write down my feelings or not. I'm full of emotions and very feel very heavy. I'm feeling Olivia move around. I feel or only imagine to feel Emma a little. She's always been my overactive girl. I know the pressure on her heart is slowing her down. I've been struggling to deal with my emotions ever since Friday. There are so many, and I don't, I really don't feel like talking to people. The doctor didn't give us much hope. In fact, as he left the room, he said, I'm sorry. I know God has a plan. I know he has known these babies even before they were conceived. I know he will see us through this, whatever the outcome. But it sure doesn't make it any easier. In a way, I feel like I'm already going through the grieving process. I've grown attached and have seen our families complete after we have these girls. So imagining life without them is unbearable, feeling of emptiness. I think back to the man who wrote, It is well with my soul. He lost his entire family, and he was still able to write that hymn. Yeah. So, um, so you guys are being prepared. For, for the surgery, prepared. which, I mean, babies are still you in know, the womb, going to have laser surgery in the womb. But then I talked to the, the founder of Twin to Twin Transfusion, the foundation. Uh, she called me and said, how are you doing? And um, I told her what they had said, and she said, you know, I've seen some that are this bad that have made it. And so I went in the next day for surgery with a little bit of hope. Yeah. Be- because the doctors were saying you should probably terminate one to yeah. save the other. Well, so when we went in, he goes, now... The guy always come in and go, what are we going to do today? I just want to explain to you. And I said, and he said, um, okay, no, if we don't terminate Emma, you will, you will lose Olivia. There's so no now you've had, in survive. your lifetime, two doctors that have said terminate your child. And so I said, well, what's your worst case? I mean, what's survivor rate? And he goes, we've never had a case this bad survive. He's like, if you don't terminate her, you will lose Olivia. And I go, well, then... We're just going to see what happens. Yeah. We just have to give them we're both gonna, a fighting chance. We're going to give it to God. And, and, you, um, and you had a, a time of prayer, and, and you had family in the room. Well, before that, he, the, God, the doctor said two or three times, I don't, I don't think you understand. You will lose both. Yeah. And he's like, most parents would want one child over none. And, yeah, at that moment, I said, you're going to, so we'll, you know, we're, you're telling me my babies are going to die. And he said, yeah. And I started crying, and I couldn't stop. And he said, do you want a chaplain? And I said, no. I'm not ready to say goodbye. You know, I'm just, let's see what happens. Well, Mike comes over and says, ask the doctor, can we have a few moments together? And so um, Mike's parents and him and myself, he stood, they all stood around me. And we prayed, and he said, um, God, if it's your will, 
these girls are yours, you know, go ahead and take them. And if not, we would love to take care of them. But no matter what, we are not going to be bitter. We are not going, this is not, you know, we're going to live our lives. We have faith in you. We have faith that you'll take care of us, that you'll provide for us, that you will see us through this. Whatever, we're just not going to turn on you. We're not going to. And I just kept thinking that song, Praise You in the Storm, because I go look at my words. It says, I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I barely hear whisper through the rain. I'm with you, and as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. It says, I'll praise you in the storm, and I will lift my hands. For you are, you are who you are no matter where I am. Every tear I've cried, you've held in your hand. You never left my side, and though my heart is torn, I'll praise you in the storm. And it says, one part says, my strength is almost gone. How can I carry on if I can't find you? And then it says, I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So that was what, what I felt like we did at that moment. Yeah. We're going to praise you in the storm, and we're going to trust you. And so you go into surgery. So we go into surgery, and I, it was a three-and-a-half-hour surgery where they laser, they put a laser into my belly, and they cauterized all the veins and arteries that the babies shared. And um, I asked, because uh, I cried the whole way there, and they asked if I wanted to be out, and I said as much as possible because I don't want to cry through the whole thing. And you have to be real still, your belly. So I'm kind of feeling really good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but real quick, before we went the procedure, we'd gone through several scans of the blood flow and the share of the babies. And, and so there was a lot of knowledge they knew about what was going on in the womb before they ever went in. And they said it. then before they wheeled her away, they were very somber. You know, again, not just speaking it, but you could see it on their face. There wasn't much hope. And they said if the placental share, which gets kind of complicated, if it's less than 80-20, then the babies would die. And okay. so at that moment, I'm out and feeling really good. And um, I wake up. I mean, my eyes open. and During surgery? Yes. And I hear, the first thing I hear is, I think it's 40-60. It might be 50-50. And so just a peace came over me. I knew. I knew they were fine. Yeah. Like at that moment. And later I found out that they woke me up because I was snoring. <laughs> <laughs> and my belly was shaking. So they had <laughs> Which is that's a side note, but um, does she still snore? And <laughs> All right. when you're pregnant, you snore. <laughs> but I didn't tell you that. That was an unscripted question. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, but it was so neat, and it was almost like I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to even put into words how yeah. you feel. But I was able to rest and came out of surgery, and the doctors went and told Mike and his parents. Just you can tell. Yeah, when they came out to see us, their moods were night and day different from when they left. Uh, they were happy. I mean, I expected them to high-five each other. I mean, they were that happy, and they were like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And they said things went way better than we anticipated, and now all of a sudden there was hope. Yeah. And they were telling us there was hope. Yeah. And about three days later, they, they said the first three days are critical, but three days later we went in and um, had everything tested, their hearts and everything, and... The doctor comes in, and he just sits down, and he's kind of speechless, like, I can't explain it, but 
Olivia's heart's completely healed, Emma's heart, one side is completely healed, and the other side is 10% improved, and that's, he's like, I just can't tell you, I, yeah. I can't explain it. And Mike and I both look at each other. <laughs> and you have Well, thoughts. we know. <laughs> now, it, but it didn't stop there, because Emma grew for one more week in yeah. the womb, but then no more. Right. Um, She's, the, the technical term you guys gave me was intrauterine growth restriction. Right. She had, it gets kind of technical, but there's like three different issues where she stopped growing. Yeah. And so we're back again. And, and at this point, you're at 29 weeks, and yeah, you have to deliver weeks, the babies. And we had to deliver, because yeah. if we waited, we it was this kind of, uh, you just didn't know. We could wait another week, but she might have died by then. Yeah. So we had them early at 29 weeks, and... I think we have pictures here. It's kind of hard to see, but... That is Olivia. That's Olivia, and she weighed 2 pounds, 9.4 ounces. And Emma is probably the next slide. That's Emma, and she was one pound, six ounces. And that diaper right there, this is that diaper. Like, but folded down. You got your blackberry. But it's actually folded yeah. down like that. And then it's, it's pretty much smaller than his, you know. So There's my phone. You can just see. I mean, she literally was. Pictures just don't do it justice. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, we, the, the nurses tell us, they told us later, uh, usually babies come in this sick and they pass within a couple days. Okay. And we spent four months in the NICU. Here in OSF? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, they were very surprised that, um, that she pulled through. We, we went through ups and downs. We almost lost her several times. And then even Olivia got a, an infection in her intestines where we almost, uh, that could have been deadly too. Yeah. So. And the end of the story, um, we have a picture here. This is Easter. Mm -hmm. So that's Emma on the end, and then Olivia's right next to her, along with Lauren and Alyssa. Mike, I hope you're saving money for weddings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, the end of the story. There's no end. Um, we'll continue to have several surgeries. You, you've we've, had 18 surgeries in the family, something like that. 18 surgeries for all of our kids. Yeah. And, um, and there's more already there's known more. you're going to have in the future. Yeah, and there's scary ones. I mean, there's a heart, there's other heart surgeries that we have that, but, you know, so there's nowhere, nowhere that God says it's going to be easy. Just because yeah. you're a Christian or just because you believe him, it doesn't take away the pain and hurt. I mean, he doesn't say, well. The, the, the pain and the tears in the morning and the death, that's in the future. That's taken away. I mean, that's that revelation passage. Mm -hmm. That's not now. Right. Now we cry. Now we, we suffer. Right. Now we mourn. Right. What, what would you say to somebody sitting out here who's going through something right now and maybe has given up hope? Obviously, your story has a fairly happy ending. We don't know the end of it, but, I mean. Something that I've kind of come across through this process. The, the, reading through Scripture, John chapter 9. You know, there's a, a passage in there about Jesus and a couple of disciples walking by a blind man on the side of the road who was blind, and the beggar who's blind. And the disciples asked him, who sinned, his parents or this man that he was born blind? Who's to blame? Yeah. Is the question. Yeah. And so Jesus responded, neither. He was born blind for the glory of God. And so when I really dug into that, it helped me understand that 
yeah, there are consequences for actions I make, but sometimes there are things that happen that I didn't contribute to, and I still have the pain. And you have no control over. And I have no control over. Yeah. So that tells me, okay, it takes away some of the guilt that maybe I was putting on myself that's not rightfully placed, but also gives me hope because there's the glory of God. God wants to use something through there. I don't know how. I don't know when, don't know where, but somehow, some way, God's going to use it. Yeah. And so there's that. And then another thing I've held on to is a phrase that says, love wins. And God is love. So if you put that together, God is love, love wins. God wins. Yeah. And in the end, I know he's going he's gonna to be victorious over anything we encounter. I think that we'll, we'll always have questions. I mean, there's days that I see my oldest struggle, you know, everything she's been through, and I'm like, this is not fair. I mean, especially for a child to go through suffering. It breaks your heart. But yeah. I lean on Scripture um, for my kids, especially for I know the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Yeah, plans sure. to give you hope in the future. And I have to stand on that. And, you know, when you're going through the pain... The scriptures, I just kept going back to um, uh, take my yoke upon you and lean for, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Just drawing strength from different ones. And, you know, I'm reminded of the, the poem, Footprints, I kept looking at because, um, you know, it has God and this person walking side by side. And then there's a point where it's just one set of footprints, and this person's like, God, where were you? And he was like, I was carrying you. Yeah. And there are times where, and there's still days that I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I really, and, you know, some people say stuff to you like, well, God's just trying to make you stronger. And there's days I'm like, I don't want to be stronger. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm strong. You know, I, I, but I just, you have to keep going back and you can't explain it. Um, you just listen to questions, but try to keep your faith in God. I mean. Yeah. He's only, he is the only way that we got through this. And there were times where I said, I don't know how people get through this without God. And I feel like we went through Alyssa's surgery or her whole first year kind of separate, even though we had faith. And by the time we had another whole thing with the twins, I thought, we already went through this. Like, uh, if, you know, if this is for our faith to grow, I kind of feel like we've been there, done that. But I feel like at that moment, being in the room and praying, I felt like when he said that prayer, it didn't just commit God and, and ourselves. It was committing us to each other, saying, we're going to get this through this together. And we, we don't, you know, we see people that it affects their whole life. I mean, it's very hard to go through a tragedy and not have it affect the relationships around you. And then the other thing is, in the Ronald McDonald House, I met several families that uh, you know, we were talking at dinner one night there, and it's like we all eat, but we all were kind of quiet. And we got talking to this new couple that just arrived and was telling them our story. And um, just talking about how we had to give up control because we were going to lose our child. And, and we just needed to have that peace, whether she didn't live or not. You just have to get to the point. And story after story came out of another lady said that her time of surrendering was when she was watching her daughter drown in her own blood. And then another one, a little boy was born the same day as Alyssa with only half a heart, and they kept him alive for three months. And um, 
I was able to talk to her in a, a week after he died, or I talked to her in a week before he died. She just said she had peace because she finally gave up control and she just yeah. had faith in God. And to say that you have peace when your child passes away is, I don't get, you know, I've never been through that pain. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. But all I know is God works everything out for the good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, that was, and that was one other thing, too. That was the hardest thing that I'd ever have, had to do um, was to give up my daughter because I'm there to protect, right? I'm the dad. I'm there to help fix the problems. I'm there to get it right. And it was out of my control. So not only did I have to release our firstborn, I had to release the twins too. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming. Can you guys give them a round of applause? As they talked about, their faith grew through that. And, and suffering can be that uh, refining process for us if we allow it to be. If we look at it in perspective of eternity with the hope that Christ can give us. Um, yeah, just real quick, I want to give you a few things. This is kind of the, the pastoral closing here. Um, if you're going through suffering, when you go through sufferings, I think we all will, learn from it. Learn from the suffering. Um, you know, most often when we, when we fall down, we pick ourselves back up, we brush ourselves off, we pretend like it didn't happen. Um, sometimes we need to stay down there and we need to look around and we need to figure out what we need to grab before we stand back up. And so if you're going through something, when do you go through something? Learn from that. Um, it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to be mad at God, but discover what he wants you to do through that process. Pray through the suffering. Um, the, this section in Romans chapter 8 um, ends with these verses in, in Romans eight twenty six and 27. I'm going to bring those up if you would. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. When we're going through that suffering, um, I'm sure there are times that, that Mike and Bethany had no idea what words to say, and they just sat, and they just, they just let the Spirit pray. Because God's spirit inside of us is going to know what's in our hearts, what's in our minds, and he's going to connect with our Father. He says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So learn from the suffering, pray through the suffering, and then share the suffering with others. Help others through times of trouble that they go through. Mike and Bethany are here today. They never envisioned themselves sitting on a stage in front of a couple hundred people sharing their story. But I know that their story and sharing that today is helping you in some way, in some fashion. Second Corinthians chapter 1, the uh, last verse here in New Living Translation. says, in the, um, go ahead. In the same way the Spirit... Nope. Next slide, if you would. Is there not one there? Let me grab it here. Second Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What Mike and Bethany have gone through and the comfort they have received from God, God now calls them and commissions them to share that with other people to help them through their times of suffering. And that's what they're doing today. And one of the most healing, most cathartic things you can do when you go through suffering, even in the midst of it, is to talk with other people about it. 
uh, like they shared. It, it's so easy to, to just close yourself up and to not share the pain that you're going through. But that's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to find healing by talking with people, expressing your, your pain, your suffering, your anger, your disappointment, your frustration, all those things, and just being honest with God and with people. So learn through it, pray through it, and share it. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.